Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 11.12 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. It is the day after Thanksgiving, the 24th of November, 2023. This is episode 824 of Bitcoin, and it's probably going to be a short one. Because of all the crap that's going on, and you know of which I speak, some of it I will I will touch upon, uh, because I have been away for, you know, the better part of the week. Uh you guys have already heard about a lot of this stuff. All right. So, you know, Binance, you know, getting it, their ass handed to them. Uh, CZ stepping down as CEO. There's really, there's really nothing to say. It's already been said, right? But there are some, you know, some developments that happened yesterday that we'll get into. And, um, well, let's, well, let's just start with this one from Coindesk. This one's funny. Well, okay, it's not funny for the guy, but it's got be careful with your transaction fees for the love of God, please, please, please. This one out of CoinDesk Oliver Knight, Bitcoin sender stuck with 3.1 million dollar transaction fee. It's the largest one in history. Someone, someone paid million in transaction fees for a Bitcoin transfer on Thursday. Bitcoin miner Ampool was rewarded for the mining block. It received the standard 6.25 BTC as well as 85.2 BTCs in fees for all transactions included on the block. Today's transfer mined in block 818087 becomes the largest transaction fee paid in Bitcoin's 14-year history. The sender's wallet was set up just minutes before the transfer, and the recipient received only 55.78 BTC of the original 130.42 BTC that was sent. Pausing. Let's let's just read that first part again. The sender's wallet was set up just minutes before the transfer. Uh Guys, I cannot I cannot illustrate enough just how careful everybody needs to be. You're talking about a dude sitting on 140 BTC and it's like they're children. You, like everything has to happen like like totally fast but my you know my real question is how do we know the wallet was set up just minutes before we i mean unless well maybe they'll get into it in in the article but it, i don't know something smells wrong here about somebody telling me that they know when a wallet was set up i i honestly 
am calling kind of bullshit on that. But let's just think, let's just assume that it's 100% true. Don't do that shit. Don't do that. Don't set up a wallet and within minutes send something like, you know, try to send something like, you know, $5 million worth of Bitcoin around the horn. Because it's just, you got to be careful with this. You have to be careful with this. Every, if, it, if it's worth doing, it's worth taking time. But if it's worth sending a Bitcoin transaction for, for, you better take a lot more time than you think you're going to take to do it. Because this kind of shit will get you into trouble. In September, F2 Pool returned a 19.8 BTC fee that was mistakenly set by, sent by Paxos. Antpool, a mining pool owned by Bitmain, has not published an announcement in relation to this overpaid fee. Recently, Bitcoin fees have experienced significant upticks following increased activities around Bitcoin-based NFT project ordinals. However, this transaction appears to be an individual error instead of a wider market impact. Antpool has not immediately responded to Coindesk's request for comment. Okay, so they haven't said anything about how the hell do we know if this wallet had been set up minutes before the transfer, because all you really know, all, okay, first of all, here's the thing. All wallets that will ever exist already have an address. I know that that's weird to think about, but they're already there. Every wallet address that will ever come into existence is already in existence. It's already there. Like if you, it's sort of like this, a a beach. So you walk out onto a beach and all those grains of sand that make up the beach. That's a lot of grains of sand, but they're already there. If you individually pick up, like, you know, dig down a little bit and then pick up a single grain of sand and say, I've discovered this grain of sand. Okay. Yeah. You discovered it in parlance for Bitcoin wallets. That means that you found the piece, the one bit of sand that relates to the 12 or 24 seed word phrase that was generated for you by whatever hardware wallet or wallet software that you use. But it was already there, right? It was already there. So that's why I call complete bullshit on whether or not this thing was set up just minutes before. Now, what could have happened, what could have happened, what could have happened is that this particular wallet address, and you can only ever see the address on chain of any wallet, right? That's all you can really see and the transactions that are sent to and from individual wallet addresses. That's pretty much it, honestly, right? But the only thing that could have been seen is that a wallet was in existence had never had any Bitcoin in it at all, suddenly gets 140 some odd BTC sent to it. And within minutes of that, this particular transaction was executed, right? Nobody knows if you've spun up a wallet. The only thing people can ever know is if you send Bitcoin to that wallet or send Bitcoin from that wallet or use that wallet to sign a message. That's it. That's really all there that there is. So the statement that the sender's wallet was set up just minutes before the transfer, 
I call 100% complete bullshit on. Now, let's go down south to our favorite person right now. Everybody's favorite person is Javier Millet. The Malay presidency, the implications for Argentina, El Salvador, and Bitcoin adoption out of Bitcoin magazine and written by Jaime Garcia on November the 19th, 2023. Argentinian voters elected Javier Gerardo Millet, an Austrian economist known for his candid and unconventional style as their new president. He ran on a platform promising substantial reforms, cutting spending, reducing government intervention, addressing inflation, and, of course, eliminating the central bank. You know, Malay's path to victory was unexpected. In the general elections, he secured second place with 30% of the vote, trailing Sergio Massa of the Peronist establishment, who garnered 37%. Patricia Bullrich, former minister of security under President Marcy's administration, obtained 24%. These results forced Batage or a runoff election between Massa and Malay. In the runoff election, it became apparent early that Massa's camp would not prevail, leading him to concede before official results were released, extending well wishes to Malay. During his victory speech, Malay conveyed several key messages. He emphasized the start of Argentina's reconstruction and thanked pivotal figures, including poll watchers from his party and PRO, an establishment coalition party. He also thanked former President Macri, oh, sorry, not Marcy, Macri, and his election opponent, Patricia Bullrich, acknowledging their contribution to bringing about change. Malay declared an end to what he called the Argentinian decadence denouncing a system favoring a privileged few and vowing to revisit the principles of liberty, Alberti's ideas, an Argentinian libertarian, and the vision of Argentina's founding fathers. He invited all Argentinians to join this new transformational project in embracing liberty, highlighting unity over differences while acknowledging resistance from those entrenched in the existing system. His message to his opponents was striking as he warned them that under a Malay administration, quote, everything within the law and nothing outside the law, end quote. Asserting the need for immediate and drastic changes, he warned of an impending crisis if the country doesn't rapidly address critical issues like inflation, poverty, security, and unemployment. He emphasized that his administration could not afford gradualism, lukewarm implementations and half measures, and that changes must be swift. Malay extended a global commitment for democracy, free markets, and cooperation with other nations for a better world, culminating in his passionate rallying cry, Viva la Libertad, sorry, Viva la Libertad, carajo, long live liberty, damn it. (laughs) The allure of post-partisan politics in Latin America. While Malay's victory signifies a milestone for Latin America in advancing post-partisan politics, which Salvadoran President Bukele leads this moment and potentially influencing Bitcoin adoption, some caution is warranted. Malay himself is not a Bitcoiner, but as an Austrian economist, he understands the need for Bitcoin to counteract central bank and Keynesian policies. In fact, one of his main policy planks is to dollarize the Argentinian economy to more closely reflect the reality of what is already happening on the ground. 
The dollarization of the country alone is one of the most anti-Bitcoin measures he could take. However, this is where idealism meets reality and Malay must do what is best for Argentina. Malay's alliance with the conservative and center-right party PRO and Patricia Bullrich might require compromises for political support. He challenges his, sorry, his challenges echo McCree's, including the need to move forward towards market-friendly policies, address corruption, allegations, and avoid the perception of favoritism in the Argentinian elite. Good Lord, I've been out of this game for a while. Despite Malay's limited support in Congress, his need to garner votes may lead to political compromises, possibly deviating from his intended policies. El Salvador's President Bukele was in a similar situation when he was blocked from running in his own party and then chose to run with a political rival, Ghana, G-A-N-A. While Bukele did not capitulate to G-A-N-A and eventually garnered enough votes in Congress, it is still uncertain how Malay's situation will impact his policies. It's crucial for Bitcoiners to exercise patience and manage their expectations, as Malay did not run on Bitcoin as a main economic policy. While Malay aims to address deep-seated issues in Argentina, his primary focus might not align with Bitcoiners' vision of Bitcoin adoption. Argentina, with its size and resources, has the potential to achieve greatness, but Malay recognizes this, and he will likely proceed cautiously in some areas and be swift in others, and not all will be to the satisfaction of Bitcoiners. Okay, so there you go. There you go. And I understand what what Jaime is trying to say here in this article for Bitcoin Magazine. Here's the thing with Malay. I don't trust him. I don't trust him as far as I could throw him. Does it mean that I don't like him? I, I don't know. I don't know. Honestly, I kind of can't say either way. I don't know him. I've never sat down to have beer with a guy. And until you do things such as that, you, you forget it. You don't know anybody. You have to look at what he does. Now, here's the situation with dollarization. Where is he going to get the dollars from? Dollars are in short supply. It doesn't, And it does not seem to matter how much the Federal Reserve prints these dollars. Somehow or another, they just don't seem to get into the wind, now do they? I wonder who's getting them instead. Gee, who could it possibly be? That aside, the question remains. Where's Malay going to get the dollars? to dollarize his country. And if he does dollarize the country, and I think he actually will figure out some way to do it, it's not as if his people are going to get any benefit from the United States money printer, which is probably going to go burr very loudly sooner than we all think. But again, how exactly is he going to dollarize his country? It was easier. It was definitely easier for the countries that have already done so. They had access to dollars. You're talking about 45 million people that are going to need access to the United States dollar. Where's he going to get it? How the hell is he going to get it? Is he going to take out a loan? I mean, are we just going to be dealing with a guy who is having to deal with IMF and World Economic Forum and World Bank and the European Central Bank? I mean, how's he going to get these dollars is my question. 
And as far as his stance on Bitcoin, who knows? There probably was not enough people in Argentina that knew enough about Bitcoin that he could actually leverage that as a voting base. So I have to ask myself the question, why did has he even mentioned Bitcoin? I don't need him to adopt it. I, I don't. But still, I have this burning question. There's no way there was enough voters in Argentina to make a difference as to whether or not he said good or bad things about Bitcoin. So why did he say it? The only thing that I can figure is that he's going to have a hands-off attitude as far as Bitcoin is concerned. Unless for whatever reason, it starts eating into his own power base. Because like I said, I've never met the man. I don't trust him. He's a politician. He seeks power. That's all I have to know about these people to understand where my loyalties lie. And certainly not with Malay. I hope for the best, but I'm planning for the worst. Plus, it ain't like Argentina is going to be able to, you know, stand up against the United States and the European Central Bank. And why the European Central Bank? Well, they got a pretty decent connection with, you know, at least the United Kingdom because of the Falkland Islands thing. It's it's a long history that goes back between these two, but it's not like Argentina is out there just doing things on their own. They've been dependent upon the Western systems of finance for so long that to burn that out of Argentina is going to take a lot of fuel, a lot of fuel. So going forward, there's at least two things. Watch what he does, not what he says. Don't ever do that with any of these guys, but especially this dude and especially right now. Two, well... We're going to have to see what he does with Bitcoin. He's either going to leave it alone. He's either, or he's going to go against it or possibly he embraces it. But the third option, mm -mm, no, it's, I, I would not bet on it, at least not in the near term or even the medium term, maybe the long term. From what I understand, he's got four years. We'll have to see what he does. Now, this one is on the heels of the Binance stuff, right? The, you know, uh, CZ stepped down. He's pled guilty. Binance has pled guilty. It's a $4.3 billion fine that they're going to have to pay to the, I guess, the Department of Treasury and or Justice Department. Well, Treasury always gets all the money anyway. So anyway, the fine is centered around DOJ, CFTC, United States Treasury Department charges. The SEC apparently still has their thing going up against Binance. That's not resolved yet. But $4.3 billion is sort of unlike most of the fines I generally see levied against these people. Generally speaking, I see extraordinarily low ball amounts in fines when it comes to these people. Mere slap on the wrists. Mere cost of doing business, but $4.3 billion is different. That's a different deal altogether. And now, now we've got delisting of BTC pairs. That's right. 
Let's do this one from U.Today. This XRP pair eyes final delisting amid regulatory drama. I know they're going with XRP, I guess because the new CEO of Binance has some pretty serious ties to Ripple. Maybe Gamza Kazadeev is going to tell us more about it as uh, he or she writes for uh, you today. Binance drops a bombshell announcing the imminent delisting of specific XRP and Bitcoin pairs as regulatory storm clouds gather in a recent announcement. Binance, the world's largest cryptocurrency exchange, has declared the imminent delisting of trading instruments tied to notorious stablecoin BUSD. The affected pairs include XRP, Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Binance coin against the BUSD pair in the perpetual futures trading section. The exchange has stated that leverage adjustments for these instruments are effective immediately, with trading in these pairs set to be terminated in the first 10 days of December. Specifically, Perpetual futures contracts for XRP and BNB against BUSD will be suspended on December the 8th, followed by the termination of contracts linked to Ethereum and BTC three days later on the, what, the 11th? Yeah. The final delisting, closure of existing positions, and cancellation of pending orders are all slated for the same dates. This marks the third announcement in recent days related to BUSD following the recognition of the stablecoin as a security by the United States Securities and Exchange Commission earlier this year. Binance and Paxos, the issuing company behind BUSD, have been taking measures to limit the stablecoin circulation, signaling a broader industry trend. Ironically, despite XRP's recent legal victory, the popular cryptocurrency faces further limitations in trading options, this time due to regulatory concerns on the platforms themselves. The regulatory troubles for Binance have been a focal point in the crypto industry throughout 2023, intensifying after the collapse of FTX. In a significant development, Shang-Peng Zhao, the head of Binance, also known as CZ, is set to resign as CEO. The entity is expected to pay a staggering fine exceeding $4 billion with the United States Treasury gaining access to comprehensive information on all exchange transactions. Oh, so that last that last sentence really has got the gut punch and it ain't the $4 billion. It's the comprehensive information on all exchange transactions. Have you transacted with Binance lately? Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna have to act. You know, maybe maybe it's this. We're always talking about oh, they're gonna come after the on ramps and the off ramps, and that's how they're going to do it. You know what? Maybe we should beat them to the punch. Maybe we should beat them to the punch. What does that mean? That means that we stop using these on ramps and off ramps ourselves. What to replace them with? I don't know, ladies and gentlemen. I mean, we got Hoddle Hoddle, we got Bisk, and, and I'm not generally saying, oh, well, we've got those, so go use those instead. I'm just saying that maybe we should start thinking about what it looks like to start looking at using these things. And I think more will be on the horizon. Remember how we had like the whole, you know, the the wallet boom of the last few years where there's just wallet after wallet after just 
one more company after another company just dropping wallets left and right. You got Zeus, you got Mutiny, you got Wallet of Satoshi, you got Blue Wallet, you got Hell Even Breeze put a wallet in their shit long time ago. We've got wallets, we got Get Albi wallets, we've got all kinds of wallets, we got wallets, wallets, wallets. What if the next phase of this entire thing is decentralized exchange after decentralized exchange after decentralized exchange and more and more stuff on how to completely avoid any connection whatsoever between your Bitcoin and any fiat system on this planet. What does it look like? I don't know. But I can tell you this. Anything is better than this bullshit. Anything at all is better than this continuous continuous hounding by the United States as somehow or another the police force of the entire fucking world making every single morning a joy to wake up to right it's a joy to wake up to yet the little troll Janet Yellen on her little tiny podium which I'm sure was purpose built for for her staggering dwarfdom to sit up there and mispronounce Binance. No, it's Binance. No, it's Binance. They actually had an argument in a press conference about how to pronounce Binance. That's how you pronounce Binance. It's pronounced Binance. And she, the little troll can't even get that one right. But she's the Treasury Secretary, so what she says go, I guess, you know, Binance is the way that we're going to pronounce it from now on. But with that aside... All these things, I just keep waking up to one more thing after another, after another. And every time I wake up to one of these freaking things, guess what? China is completely asleep. I have been looking for a long time at the day and night calendar or well, the map of day and night of the world on world. I think it's worldclock.com. And it tells you where the sun is up and where the sun is not up. And every single time one of these announcements drops, guess what what time it drops? When China and all of Asia, the entirety of, I mean, we're talking most of India, we're talking all of China, we're talking the majority of Russia, even though the majority of Russia on that side is sort of not exactly all that well populated, be that as it may. Billions of people are asleep every single time the United States government gets their panties rolled up into a little snit and decides to release some kind of news. And then we've got to wait for China to wake up so that they can hear about the news. And it's only three hours or four after the sun strikes the eastern shores of China that their freak out finally ends and we can figure out how we're going to move forward. I'm so tired of waiting on China. It's not even funny, but that's the way this shit's been rolling for years now. Now you'll say, well, David, that's clearly because this is when Washington wakes up and does business. Yeah. Yeah. I I guess so. It's just that that doesn't alleviate the facts on the ground. And the facts on the ground is that every single time the police force of the world decides to get their panties in a snit, China's asleep. Just, it's just, it's kind of, it, eh. it is what it is. Let's run the numbers.
CNBC futures and commodities. And before we actually get into the numbers, I want to read you two of the top five stories in the sidebar of CNBC.com futures and commodities. 41-year-old teachers, a side hustle brings in $10,400 a month. When I don't work, the sales still come in. That's number one story. The number three story, 26-year-old brings in $33,000 a year from two-minute side hustle that costs next to nothing to start. That's the top two out of five stories on the sidebar of one of the most visited websites when it comes to financial news, and this is what you get. It's like it's like eating Hot Pockets and pizza rolls and all manner of crappy food. It's just, it's so staggering how transparent these people are. Do they want clicks? Yes. Is that why they're putting these stories up there? Yes. Is there probably something else that they could put in its place that is way more important than feeding you this notion that you're going to make $10,000 a month on a side hustle just by reading this article? Yeah, there is. There's a lot more important news and, and, and there's a lot more important news and shit going on. There just is. And yet this is what they choose to feed the minds of the public with. What do you think is going to happen to the nutritional health of your mental state if this is what you're getting when the economy of the world is falling into an abyss? Just like oil is, because West Texas Intermediate is down another two and a half points, $75.18. Brent North Sea is down one and a half to $80.23. Natural gas down just over a point to $2.86 per thousand. Gasoline is down over three points to $2.16 a gallon. Gold, however, is up a half a point and has breached its $2,000 mark yet once again. I think this is like the 18th time in the last year. Silver is up two, no, actually three full points. Platinum is up a point. Copper is up three quarters of a point. Palladium is up one and three quarters of a point. Ag is pretty much mixed. We got lumber up almost a point. The biggest winner today is rough rice, 2.17% to the upside. Biggest loser today is soybean, 1.94% to the downside. Live cattle is down three and a third. Holy shit. Lean hogs are down a half and feeder cattle are down three. God, three and a half. The Dow, however, is up a third of a point. We're saved. S&P is up scant. NASDAQ is down a quarter of a point. The S&P mini is up almost a half point. Every single United States treasury bond yields have increased from the one month all the way to the 30-year bond, which is yielding 4.6%. The 20-year is yielding 4.79%, and the 10-year is yielding 4.47%. The dollar index has drifted down yet again. We are at 103.38. Just a few, what, oh, when was it? On October the 31st, Halloween day. The dollar index was sitting at 106.88, just to give you a little notion. And again, it is now down to 103.38. Now, that's not going to send alarm <clears throat> alarm bells off until it hits like 96, but it is drifting back down, just so you know. Now, 
$37,656.61 is what you're getting for one Bitcoin. And uh, let's see. Average transaction values are 0.45 BTC. That's normal. Median transaction values are 20 cents, which means that at the current moment, ordinals are ruling the day. Block times are extraordinarily low, 8 minutes and 44 seconds. We got 0.6 BTC taken in fees on a per block basis and whoop-de-doo, 104.5 BTC taken in fees overall in the last 24 hours. And remember, you know, something like 80 of those were from that botched transaction from the guy with the fat fingers. Uh, Hash rate down 3.42% in the last 24 hours. That puts us at uh, 473.6 exahashes per second. Your shitcoin indicator Dogecoin is holding at 7.7 United States pennies. Uh, $738.7 billion is the market cap of Bitcoin. You may purchase uh, 19.1 ounces of shiny metal rocks with your one Bitcoin, of which there are 19,551,693.03 of and 5,361.19 of those are in the Lightning Network, now valued at $202.5 million. 14,578 nodes, 61,954 payment channels, and 80% of all of that's being run over Tor. Mempools, they're packed. They're stacked. 258, now let's call it 265 blocks carrying 194 thousand unconfirmed transactions waiting to clear at high priority transaction fees of 38 satoshis per v-byte low priority is going for 34 and anything under 10.5 is being purged for mempools around the world uh mempool.space is showing mining at 562 exahashes per second so quite a bit of a differential between that and bitinfo charts uh, <clears throat> I am well out of the top 10 in fountain charts, as you might expect, because I haven't brought you a, an episode all week long. Fatoshi with 21,021 says, love the show. You think your ideas are crazy. I want to build a river. Let's fucking go. Itsy Bitsy Hoddle with 21,000 says, hope this one gets to you. God's Death with 3,700 says, thank you, sir. Though, thank you. Wartime Psycho with Three, four, five, six says cheers. And O2ZX with 2,500 says boo. Dubrovko with 1320 says would be happy to chat with you about what I saw, etc. He comes back with another 1320 and says, that's what, in quotes, she. Okay, not sure what that means. Chaos underscore chicken 500 says, SEC no spot patience control manipulation and positioning for those with the most money to invest in my opinion great show today thanks bro bitgus with 200 says boost pies with 100 ends us out with thank you sir no thank you and that's going to do it for the weather report Welcome to part two of the news you can use. Wallet of Satoshi vanishes from Apple and Google's United States app stores. Martin Young, Cointelegraph, going to tell us what we found out about yesterday. Now, let's see, get down to it. Bitcoin Lightning Payments app Wallet of Satoshi has disappeared from Apple's app store and Google's Play Store in the United States as it closes into over 1 million transactions for the month of November. 
on November the 24th. Several users and crypto community participants shared on Twitter their attempts to search for the Wallet of Satoshi app, which turned up no results or redirected users to competing wallet apps. However, the Wallet of Satoshi app still appeared for download on the Australian Apple App Store and the Australian and Singapore Google Play Store versions of the time at writing. Wallet of Satoshi is a popular lightning payments platform that is on pace to process over 1.1 million lightning payments in November, according to industry author and podcaster Kevin Rook. Rook added that it would be the firm's largest month of lightning payments ever. However, Wallet of Satoshi cleared the confusion on a on a Twitter post after stating that it was not banned from the app stores. Quote, we've made the difficult decision to remove our app from the United States, Apple and Google app stores and will not serve United States customers going forward. The post did not clarify the reasons for the abrupt withdrawal of services in the United States, although it hinted at a possible resumption depending on future developments. <clears throat> Existing users in the USA retain full access to their BTC funds and have the ability to transfer their tokens to other wallets. Apple did not respond to a request for comment. Apple levies a hefty 30% tax on its in-app payments, which it maintains a tight leash over and has been a barrier for crypto platforms wanting an app store presence. On November the 17th, a group of disgruntled PayPal, Venmo, and Block Cash app users filed a class action lawsuit against Apple, claiming the company had entered into anti-competitive agreements with PayPal and Block to restrict the use of crypto technology and payments on iOS. Apple has a history of removing crypto apps when the firm delisted the Noster-based Domus app over a Bitcoin tip feature in June. It also briefly pulled the MetaMask wallet app from its app store in November. Yeah, that's the end of the, uh, by the way, that's the end of the article. Now, the wallet of Satoshi thing. It's a lightning wallet. It's, I mean, I guess in in parlance, it could be considered a Bitcoin wallet. But essentially, this is a lightning wallet. And I have yet to see a lightning wallet removed from Apple's app store. Generally speaking, the only wallets that I've ever seen removed are full-blown on-chain Bitcoin wallets. And then, of course, they removed Domus because it had the lightning tip feature. But this is the first full-blown lightning wallet that I've seen removed. So what does this mean in the future? Well, Breeze is a lightning wallet. You might be able to kiss that son of a bitch goodbye. Blue wallet. Yeah. Uh, Mutiny. Zeus. I mean, now we're, and now we start wandering into wondering about stuff with Cashew, the whole, the whole, uh, and emits are those next are those next. And then the, but the wider question is, of course is why Apple decided to do this, but we don't really need to do anything other than conjecture that they want their 30% cut. That's probably not all there is to that story, but that's not the important thing. What is the important thing? This is about U.S. customers. I've said repeatedly that the world is finding themselves in a position where they don't want to do business with me. Not because I'm me, not because I have a little podcast, not because, you know, 
I'm my first name's David. No, it's because I'm toxic as a United States customer. Europeans don't really want to do business with me. Africans of all the countries in the continent of Africa, they don't really want to do business with me. And it's not because it's me. It's because of my citizenry. My citizenry is toxic to the rest of the world. Nobody wants to deal with us. Nobody wants, and who would? And it's not because Americans suck. The citizenry of America is generally speaking, just like the citizenry in the rest of the world, except we're a lot fatter and we've got some other issues going on. But generally speaking, most people on the planet, Americans included, just want to have babies, get married, eat good food, you know, watch Lord of the Rings on Thanksgiving Day, you know, shit like that. We're not really all that nefarious. Who is nefarious are these governments, but most specific is the United States government. The regulatory landscape of this country is making it almost impossible to do business with its citizenry. How is that not a lawsuit, a class action lawsuit waiting to happen? I don't know. I'm very surprised that consumer groups and small business associations and all like, you know, city and county economic development councils and agencies haven't just said, you know what, we're done with the United States government forcing the citizenry to essentially remain persona non grata for business in the rest of the world. We've taken no steps at any level to rein this shit in. And I kind of expect that we will start seeing class action lawsuits against Treasury, against the DOJ, against CFTC, against the SEC that don't have anything to do with Bitcoin. It's going to have everything to do with the fact that I can't buy a fucking burrito and have it shipped to me from Mexico because they're worried that they may get in trouble with our FDA. Now, of course, that's ridiculous when I say it that way, but at what point does that become reality? At what point will I not be able to buy anything from anybody that is not another United States citizen? Because nobody wants to deal with each other. I, the, 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 this thing is has become something that is strictly detrimental to the pathway for the United States average citizen just to be able to do business on this planet if they don't want to do business with another United States citizen. It's almost impossible at this point. Will Wallet of Satoshi come back? I don't know. But let's read the full bulletin that Wallet of Satoshi released about 12 hours ago. This is from their Noster uh, at, or, well, Wallet of Satoshi, uh, Wallet of Satoshi at WalletofSatoshi.com. Two hour valued Wallet of Satoshi community in the United States of America. We've dedicated ourselves to providing the best Bitcoin experience with Wallet of Satoshi being at the forefront of lightning usability and adoption. However, we've made the difficult decision to remove our app from the United States Apple and Google app stores and will not serve you as customers going forward. This decision doesn't come lightly. Yeah, I'll bet. Our commitment to providing a secure, user-friendly, and compliant 
platform globally is unwavering. Our top priority is the safety and interest of our customers and our company. We understand this may be disappointing news and we share your frustration. We're hopefully that, hold on, we're hopeful that future developments will allow us to revisit and possibly resume our operations in the U.S. For our existing users in the U.S., rest assured, you have full access to your Bitcoin funds. You can seamlessly withdraw and transfer them to another wallet. We deeply appreciate your support and understanding. We remain committed to bringing the benefits of Bitcoin to as many as possible. Stay tuned for updates and thank you for being part of our community. Peace, love, and Bitcoin, the Wallet of Satoshi team. I really don't think anybody should be pissed off at Wallet of Satoshi right now. They, I get the feeling that they were basically told that they were going to do this one way or another, and there was going to be two ways, the easy way or the hard way. And Wallet of Satoshi opted for, I guess, for them, the easy way. Because if they had waited for the hard way, uh, they probably would have just had to go to court at the SEC and get sued by Apple. Who knows? I don't know how that would have occurred. But they voluntarily took their shit down. What can you do at this point? If you are a United States customer and you use Wallet of Satoshi, get your Satoshis off of Wallet of Satoshi. Just go ahead and do it. It doesn't mean that we have, you know, we don't have to hate them. We don't have to do this with malice, but you need to protect your Satoshis. So get them off, get them over to get Albi wallet or Breeze wallet or some other lightning wallet. But you're going to have to be vigilant at this point going forward. The only safe place for your Satoshis is, well, in your own possession. And there's two ways to do that. You can send them back on chain and deal with the 45 Satoshi per V-byte transaction fees that we have right now. Or, or in the future, this isn't going to help anybody right now, but in the future, this is why I run a lightning node. I can easily send all, like I, I took all of my wallet of Satoshi's Satoshi's off and I sent them to Get Albi. Get Albi is a, uh, well, it's kind of custodial, right? It's kind of custodial. Well, it is custodial. I don't have custody of those Satoshi's. And if something happens to Get Albi and I get rugged from Get Albi, I lose the Satoshi's that I have in that wallet. What's the only place that is safe for lightning chained Satoshis. That's my lightning wallet that I do have custody over. It's on my node alongside my bit. Well, it's on my Raspberry Pi that's sitting over here. Um, and yeah, I know people go, yeah, Raspberry Pi sucks. Okay, well, I'm going to deal with that a little bit later. But right now, my option is to get my Satoshis that are lightning based and get them over to a fully non-custodial lightning wallet solution. And mine is my lightning node. Now I use LND because that's sort of what comes up with, uh, with the uh, raspberry, with the, my node, btc.com. That's where I, that's where I get my um, software to run my Bitcoin node, lightning node, and, and all that kind of stuff. And I have two lightning based solutions based around LND that are on my node. One is called Thunderhub. And I can send it, I can use Thunderhub to get a receive address for all the Satoshis and get Albi, and it's not going to cost me anything, and nobody can rug that shit. 
Somebody can rug, get Albie today. And if I'm not Johnny on the spot, I might lose those Satoshis if that happens. I don't know if it's going to happen. They haven't breathed a, you know, a word about it, but it could happen. And I, I recognize that that's a danger. But once that shit's in my wallet, my non-custodial lightning wallet, it's mine. And I'm not going to remove my wallet from the app store. And I'm not going to take phone calls from Janet Yellen. I'm not going to listen to what Gary Gensler has to say, and I sure as shit am not going to listen to Genocide Joe. I guess that's the term that's being used nowadays. I don't know why. I haven't really been keeping up with what's going on in Palestine and all that stuff. But be that as it may, I'm not taking phone calls from any of these people. And whatever mandate they tell me that I have to do, I'm not going to follow it. I'm just going to do what I always do. I'm going to run my Bitcoin node. I'm going to run my Lightning node, and I'm going to continue to do it. Now, is that pos- is it possible that that could land me in a prison? I guess. But at what point do do we fight back? At what point do we hang it all out there? At what point do we have to remember what the founding fathers of the United States had to go through when they signed their names to the Declaration of Independence? Because they might have well been signing their own names to a death warrant. If we had lost, those people would have been found, they would have been rounded up, and they would have been publicly executed. That's what would have happened to Ben Franklin and John Adams and all the people that put their name on that little slip of paper. They were brave. Nobody laughed at them for doing it. But you say the thing that I just said and people will, even your own family members will point at you and laugh and say, yeah, yeah, you're not going to do that. It's not going to happen. Watch. It may happen. We may have to go through that. I don't know. I would rather not, but I'm sure Ben Franklin would rather have not had to worry about putting his name to the Declaration of Independence. At one point or another, we're going to have to fight for this shit all over again is what I'm saying. We're going to have to do it all over. It's going to look different. It'll have different ramifications. It'll be fought differently. It'll be fought in different places, but it's going to be the same thing. It's going to be a fight for independence. This time, full financial independence. That was part and parcel of the Declaration of Independence, but it wasn't all of it. We had, we gave, we determined that certain rights existed. And many of those didn't have all that much to do with finance, but a lot of them did, including the right to free speech. Second Amendment, the right to defend your property by bearing firearms. You know, there's, there's some finance involved in that. The rights to be, you know, confident in the security of your papers and possessions. That's another one that de- definitely deals with finance. You know, but... That was just part of the Declaration of Independence. This one, this one, it's this is all about your financial freedom because we've financialized the entire planet. That's all we've done for the last 200 years is figure out a way to turn everything into somehow or another representing a store of wealth, a transfer of wealth, or 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 a derivative thereof. So therefore. The next fight for independence is 100% financial independence. What does it look like? I don't know. What are the dangers involved? I don't know, but they're pretty fucking scary. 
don't think for a second that I, I, you know, am, am like being whole hog and just going, yay, let's go fight for freedom and, and get thrown in prison. Because if I get thrown in prison, it's going to suck. But at what point, I mean, do we just continue to lay down and let these people do this? Or do we actually at one point or another decide to stand up and fight? And if we do fight, how do we fight? What, what enemies shall we pick? What are the most high-profile enemies that we can take out? Or, you know, in this case, taking out, I mean, circumventing them, pulling their teeth, making sure that they somehow or another just don't have the ability to affect our decisions going forward. And I don't know what any of that looks like. And if I told you that I did, I'd be lying. But it's going to take all of us together to figure out what it actually looks like. And we're not going to know because we're in the fog of war. We Congratulations and welcome to the then they fight you phase. We're, we're knee deep in it. We're actually probably hip deep in this shit right now. And we're going to be up to our eyebrows before we figure out a way to pull ourselves out of this shit. This is, this was never going to be easy and it was never going to, you know, rectify itself in a short period of time. Get, let me back up. This time right now that has been basically punctuated by the last couple of days, the delisting of Walda Satoshi, you know, CZ stepping down. A $4.3 billion fine. Just one thing after another after another, and it's going to accelerate and it's going to get worse. This is the time to understand that when we keep telling you to run your own node, this is one of the reasons why. In fact, this is one of the most fundamental reasons why you would consider running your own node. I use my BT or my node BTC. There are others. There's Umbral. There's start nine. There's many, many solutions. All of them are actually much easier than you think. And most of them, you know, most of the Bitcoiners that, that I see today, we don't, we haven't, we're not talking as much about why you need to run your own node as we used to. I believe those days are coming back. They certainly need to come back. And I'm just going to leave it there. This is a decision you have to make. Is there work involved? Yes. Is there some understanding that you're going to need to get to be able to do this and understand why? Yes. Is it worth it? Most definitely. Most definitely. Now, where are we at? I'm going to just do this one and we'll be out. Unchained. Added backed BAKKT as collaborative custody partner and improved their trading desk, according to No Bullshit Bitcoin. That's nobsbitcoin.com. Backed joins CoinCover and Kingdom Trust as members of the network, providing Unchains collaborative custody offering with the greatest breadth in the industry, giving clients the most security and choice for storage of their Bitcoin, uh, stated a blog post. Unchained also announced a major enhancement to the Unchained Trading Desk. Quote, 
Our smoother, faster selling experience is now available, allowing you to sell Bitcoin directly from your vault. Ah, oh, got it. I hate hearing that, but whatever. Now you can sell Bitcoin directly from cold storage all within the Unchained dashboard. It's the fastest, easiest, and most trustless way to convert cold storage Bitcoin into dollars in your bank account to execute a trade in your unchained account find the new sell button near the bottom of your screen from there you'll enter the details of your trade select the keys you'll be using for the withdrawal sign the transaction and broadcast it onto the network all right so i don't like the thought of selling but some people have to sell they got bills to pay that's what that they're living in a fiat we're all living in a fiat world still and that's going to happen for a, quite a while. So while I don't like to see it, it is kind of cool that you can do it directly from cold storage without transferring it to a hot wallet first. That that makes sense. So while I'm sad to see a sell button hit unchained, at least they're doing it with the ethos of Bitcoin in mind. Okay, that's it for the show. A little short today, not too bad, 56 minutes, 24 seconds, and I will see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.